Hello and welcome to this podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for The Business Week ended 23rd July 2021. This is Ian Haydock. This week, J&J's outlook for coronavirus vaccines, Cosentix comes in strong for Novartis, Biogen's views on Adjuhelm pricing, competition in the Dostat sector and dealing with endemic COVID-19. Johnson & Johnson expects to generate $2.5 billion in revenues from its COVID-19 vaccines in 2021, with more than half the revenues hitting the balance sheet in the fourth quarter, the company reported. J&J incorporated COVID-19 vaccine revenues into its 2021 financial guidance for the first time and updated its financial outlook during the company's second quarter sales and earnings announcement on 21st July. J&J's one-shot COVID-19 vaccine generated $164 million in the second quarter and a total of $264 million in the first six months of the year. The revenue expectations for the year are substantial, but they pale in comparison to what Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna expect to generate with their mRNA-based vaccines. Pfizer said it foresees $26 billion from its COVID-19 vaccine this year, a figure that's likely to be revised upwards, while Moderna has said it expects $19.2 billion. However, unlike some of its pharma peers, J&J has vowed not to profit from the sale of the vaccine during the pandemic phase of the COVID-19 crisis, Jessica Merrill reports. Chief Financial Officer Joseph Walk said the financial estimate remains in flux because the not-for-profit pricing of the vaccine will fluctuate until the end of the year, when the company fully calculates the net costs and volumes produced. Revenue from the first half of the year was provisionally recorded at $5 per dose, given that volumes during the pandemic period were uncertain, he said. Currently, we expect the ultimate final not-for-profit price could be as much as $8 per dose. The company is continuing to expand its global manufacturing network for the vaccine to include 10 production sites, he added. J&J has faced more COVID-19 vaccine manufacturing challenges than other companies, after it faced a quality control breakdown at a plant owned by a third-party manufacturer. J&J revised its revenue forecast for the year upwards for both the base business and including the COVID-19 vaccine. Taking into account the vaccine, the company said it expects reported sales to increase by 13.5 to 14.5% to 93.8 to $94.6 billion, while excluding the vaccine, The base business is expected to grow 10.5 to 11.5% to $91.3 to $92.1 billion. Fears that US formulary changes would stunt the growth of Novartis' Cosentix seem to be unfounded, with the second quarter sales of the autoimmune disease blockbuster comfortably topping the $1 billion mark again. Cosentix, an interleukin 17A inhibitor approved for psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis and two types of spondyloarthritis, was once again Novartis' biggest seller, with sales reaching $1.18 billion, up 21% at constant currencies. The rise beat the forecasts of some analysts who thought that the decision by Cigna's pharmacy benefits manager, Express Scripts, to take the drug out of its 2021 formulary in the US in favour of Lilly's cheaper IL-17 blocker TALTS would hurt growth. However, Novartis's chief financial officer Harry Kirsch 
told Scripps' Kevin Grogan that Cosentix still managed 16% growth in the US, mainly driven by some of our contracting decisions earlier this year, but we're also starting to grow Scripps, roughly 11% from Q1 to Q2 this year. Figures were helped by Cosentix receiving US approval in May for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis in paediatric patients six years and older. Outside the US, sales of the drug were up by 28%, thanks to a healthy showing in Europe and strong volume growth in China, which was helped by a national reimbursement listing for the drug in Q1. Kirsch said, we are very much on our way to the peak sales target, where we guided $5 billion plus. Novartis's other big seller, the cardiovascular therapy Entresto, soared by 46% to $886 million, with sales in the US boosted by the FDA approval in February of an expanded indication in heart failure patients with left ventricular ejection. Last month, China approved the new indication of essential hypertension. The performance of the big two products highlights the fact that we saw demand in our major markets starting to return to normal levels this quarter, Kirsch said, despite some differences within those markets. Biogen has committed to reconsidering the price of Aduhelm for Alzheimer's disease if the market for the treatment turns out to be substantially larger than the company's forecast. So far, Biogen has stressed a slow ramp-up. Head of Value and Access Chris Liebman said the company views pricing strategy and the launch more generally as an evolution, speaking during a recent policy roundtable sponsored by the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review to discuss Aduhelm. We are the first treatment, but you recognise that. We are also making a whole host of assumptions, he said, talking about the company's view of the likely eligible patient population for Adjuhelm. We are going to watch this very carefully, and if we are fundamentally wrong and see numbers that are very different from what we described, we stand ready to work with the public, CMS certainly, and private payers to address both pricing so we can achieve patient access and also, importantly, sustainability. Jessica Mell writes that dramatic reductions to drug prices after a launch are extremely rare. Drug makers usually use rebates to offset the list price of drugs through negotiations with payers, though those price reductions don't usually trickle down to patients. Steep changes to list prices are unusual, partly because payers like getting a big rebate. In one example, in 2018 and 19, Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals and Amgen lowered their list prices of their respective PCSK9 inhibitors, Praluent and Ripatha, by nearly 60%, after the drugs failed for several years to overcome restrictions put in place by payers. Two high-profile US medical centres, Cleveland Clinic and Mount Sinai Health System in New York City, have announced they won't administer Adihelm, citing the uncertain clinical impact. Biogen's position when it comes to the pricing strategy is that the market for the treatment will be considerably smaller than what others expect. While Biogen estimates there are 1 to 2 million patients in the US with mild cognitive impairment that would likely be diagnosed with Alzheimer's, most of those patients aren't diagnosed and aren't under the care of a specialist. Just one day after AstraZeneca and Fibrogen received a knockback from the US FDA advisory panel on their oral anemia treatment, Roxaducat, GlaxoSmithKline has unveiled data which could help it overtake its rivals. An FDA expert committee voted almost unanimously against the approval of Roxaducat on 15th of July, 
coming out 13 to 1 against approval for its use to treat anemia related to chronic kidney disease in patients not on dialysis and 12 to 2 against in dialysis-dependent patients. Andrew McConaughey reports the panel raised concerns about the overall safety data the companies submitted and expressed doubts about their proposed post-marketing study to monitor the drug's cardiovascular safety profile. It concluded that the companies needed to generate more safety data before the drug could be approved. The decision as to a string of setbacks for Roxadustat, which had initially been expected to gain US approval in December 2020. The oral hypoxia-inducible factor prolyl hydroxylase inhibitor is already approved in China and had been tipped to earn $1.2 billion in the US market alone, where it had been expected to be a first-in-class approval. How the FDA responds to the approval application remains to be seen, but it could open up an opportunity for GSK and its rival drug, Daprodustat. GSK unveiled top-line phase 3 data from its Ascend program for Daprodustat on 16th of July, including key safety data comparing it with current standard erythropoietin stimulating agent therapies. Daprodustat met its primary efficacy endpoint in four studies in the program, demonstrating an improvement in haemoglobin levels in untreated patients and maintaining haemoglobin levels in patients treated with an ESA in patients with anemia of CKD, the company said. Meanwhile, its key cardiovascular outcome studies for non-dialysis and dialysis patients showed that Daprodustat was non-inferior when compared to an ESA in the risk of major adverse cardiovascular events, the co-primary endpoint of both studies. AstraZeneca and Fibrogen had also conducted a non-inferiority safety study comparing their drug with ESAs, but after a close examination, the FDA panel concluded it was not convinced that this had been demonstrated beyond doubt. More clarity on how the two products compare and whether Daprodustat has a more compelling safety profile than its rival must await the release of the full data at a medical meeting later this year. Finally, as some countries deal with a resurgence of COVID-19, while others like the UK decide it's time to go back to business as usual, corporate heads need to prepare their organisations for continued unpredictability and higher costs as the disease turns endemic, some experts feel. Vaccination is one part of the solution and is a huge help, but we are unlikely to ever reach global herd immunity, which means there's always an opportunity for the virus to evolve And we're seeing this now with virus mutants, said Stephen Jones, a public health scientist and inventor who was part of the team that developed the world's first Ebola vaccine. A complex network of different levels of tests designed to fill specific yet varying purposes is needed, as testing is the only way to know whether individuals are presenting a hazard to others and to understand how well the vaccines are suppressing infection, he suggested. The end point of this virus is that we will just start to live with it. It will become endemic in the population. We can hope that it becomes less virulent over time, as diseases tend to, but there may be spikes, Jones warned. Biba Ravi writes that Jones was part of an interdisciplinary group of experts with interests ranging from healthcare to commerce and security who have written a forthcoming white paper, Reality Injection, The True Cost of COVID-19, and was participating in a discussion moderated by global consultancy McKinsey & Co. Suggesting ways to ensure business continuity in the uncertain environment caused by COVID-19, Margaret Hansen-Muse, 
Chair for the US Department of Commerce at the Eisenhower School for National Security and Resource Strategy, mentioned diversity. Leverage diversity as much as possible to access different pools of workers, as labour is likely to become scarcer and allow for more flexibility that workers may need and want. And just as important, invest in digital technology. If you haven't, upgrade your infrastructure, she advised. Managers may need to accommodate for not only technological innovations, but also changes to how people approach careers, given new organisational practices, such as rising portfolio careers that allow workers to have multiple sources of income. This is a new reality for managers and a new opportunity for many, she said. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. And don't forget to sign in to receive all these and many more stories in full, which are also linked in the article accompanying this podcast, or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.